Welcome to Now with Steve Rio. On this podcast, I seek to define what it means to live a good life. How do we stay connected and aligned with our values and our purpose? How do we prioritize what's most important to us? And how do we optimize and make the most of the time we have in this life? Today I'm sitting down with Chantelle Russell. She's an entrepreneur and the founder of The Well on Bowen Island. She's a yoga and meditation teacher. She's a holistic nutrition specialist, amongst many other things. This was a really wide-ranging conversation. We talked about what does freedom really mean? We talked about life and death and thriving through cancer. We talked about psychedelic experiences and many other things. You can find Chantel online at chantelrussell.com or thewellonbowen.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you do, make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow me on Instagram at Steve Rio. And if you're interested in learning how to increase your performance, resilience, and well-being, check out Nature of Work. It's a personal operating system to help you live life to its fullest. You can find us online at natureofwork.co or on Instagram at the same, at natureofwork.co. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Are you feeling good? Yeah. You ready? I'm ready to roll. Well, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Steve. Right on. Um, I've asked all of my guests this so far, but I feel like this might, there might not be so much of an answer for you, but, uh, is there a difference between your LinkedIn bio or your, your company bio or something than how you would describe yourself personally? Yes. (laughs) Um, only in that I bring in a little bit more ceremony and ritual into the work that I do. And that might not necessarily be reflected on my LinkedIn profile. (laughs) Is that part of your corporate persona? Not so much. Do you have a corporate persona? I think my LinkedIn profile is as corporate as I get, which is yoga and meditation. Um, But I don't mention that I treat everything as a ritual. For me, life is one big ritual. So really bringing the sacred to everything that I do is part of my, not only the work that I do, but just the way that I live my life. Right. Um, So this is kind of a fun podcast because it's my first on Bowen Island and uh, on my home in my home here. And um, when did you move to Bowen Island and where did you come from? What spurred that? You know, what's what? How did you get here? We've been here. It'll be eight years um, this coming December. So I'm not sure when this will air. But my husband and I moved here a year after our son was born. So we lived in Yale Town on the 23rd floor of a high rise condo and I had this beautiful home birth in the condo in Yale Town and um, after my son was born I went through some pretty intense health challenges and when I was through that we wanted to just be in nature and get out of the city and we needed more space so we opened our search options um, when we realized you know we didn't want to necessarily live in the suburbs we were looking for a more um 
natural way of life. And we found this beautiful home on Bowen. So we decided to give it a try. And that was, yeah, almost seven years ago. Wow. What's that transition been like in terms of uh, lifestyle change for you? The biggest thing I noticed was the shift in my nervous system, actually. Um, we found that moving here, we slept a lot better because when we lived in Yaletown, we were surrounded by a few hospitals and a fire hall. So it was really common to hear sirens all night and people coming home from the bar. And when we moved here, it's totally dark. There are no street lights. There's no noise. And so just the quality of sleep and over a few years, realizing how it shifted our whole nervous system to one of just feeling less wired and tired, but just more deeply relaxed. Yeah. So I feel like it's been very nourishing from that perspective. And I always looked at it as a temporary move and sort of with this open-ended, we'll see how it goes kind of attitude. Um, but things have unfolded so beautifully. I have a yoga studio here now, and it's a really beautiful community to raise children in. And so there's been a beautiful deepening process as well. Um, yeah, it's been yeah, great. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of similar. We, well, we were living in Yale town too, we were, we were on, I forget what floor we were on. We were in a couple of different buildings in the same complex over a few years. And the move, it just, you, the first thing is the sleep, is how dark it is and quiet it is. Um, and just peaceful too. The energy is different. The energy levels are just different here, you know? Yeah, we notice as soon as you take the ferry, there's a bit of like a, a release. Mm -hmm. So even if you've had a stressful day in the city, the gentle commute across the ocean, is it just makes for a natural transition into a more slower pace. Totally. Yeah, even the like the other thing we noticed is the air. And and we're we're in, outside of Vancouver for those listening elsewhere. And Vancouver is a very clean, beautiful city actually compared to a lot of cities, but still the air here is so beautiful. <laughs> On Bone Island, I mean. It definitely yeah. is. And recently I was reading about a trend in Japan called forest bathing. Yeah. And it's actually, it's a thing. It's a therapy that people sign up for and they intentionally go and spend time in the forest as a form of therapy. Right. And I feel so lucky that we can do that at any time here because we basically live in a giant forest. 100%. And just understanding from a more scientific point of view, the benefits of being in nature have sort of validated that sense of well-being that kind of has happened organically here. It's like, oh, they, there's a reason because the trees right. emit essential oils that are really calming to the nervous system and they help to boost serotonin and they boost your immunity. And there's all these different reasons why forest bathing is a thing. So it's kind of fun. I know it totally is. It's funny because I go for walks now every day in the woods, in the forest, and it's, it is incredibly calming, but it's fun to call it more fun to call it forest bathing, right? I think. <laughs> sounds sounds cool. Yeah, it's interesting. That's definitely become this 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 trend. And I've had a few people come over or ask me, "Do you forest bathe a lot?" It's like, yeah, I, I guess, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, the other funny trend is called earthing, which earthing. is just walking with your bare feet on the earth. <laughs> but it's it's a awesome. thing. Yeah. Oh, all right. Um, and on the island, you have the well. Uh, can you tell us about the well? Yeah, The Well is a studio that I opened five years ago, and it's inspired by the many pilgrimages that I've done to Avalon or what's modern-day Glastonbury, where there's a lot of sacred wells, and the wells represent these sources of life and specifically really connected to the feminine. So wells have, for a long time across many traditions, been places where people gather to draw nourishment from the depths. 
Um, and also the well for me has become not just the physical well where we drink water, but this idea of what does it mean to be well. And mm. so the well itself is also an acronym for what I believe are the tenets or the facets of wellness. Yeah. And so W is for wild, E is for embodied, L liberated, and the second L is for living. So it's this idea that to be really well, we want to rewild or attend to that wild part of ourselves aligned right. with nature, uh, embodiment, really taking care of our physical temple, the physical body through food and movement. Liberated is really this quality of keeping our mind open through meditation and also creativity. Mm -hmm. And then living is just how do we how do we live out our purpose? How do we show up in our relationships and in our work um, cool. as the best version of Beautiful. ourselves? Yeah. Did you um, did the acronym come before you named the well or after you named the well? It was one big download. It yeah. feels like yeah, Very cool. yeah. When I visited the wells in England, I had just this download of what that's it kind of all came at the same time right yeah I, I liked what you just said about um liberated i was having a conversation with someone about in in our society a lot of times people talk about freedom or liberation as being able to go get drunk or party or sort of leave their leave their body or leave leave who they are in some way where i think what you do is quite quite different from that yeah definitely I think freedom, like you said, people think it's like, oh, I'll be free when X, Y, and Z, when I make this much money or when I achieve this next goal, then I'll really be free. But it's this idea that we're already free and we can choose to create and to be in our life as we choose. But sometimes we we get caught in mental constructs or negative beliefs or unhealthy habits. And so we kind of keep ourselves locked in. So liberated is yeah. this idea of like, opening to what's already there. Yeah, beautiful. Um, how do people do that? <laughs> how, 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 like, <clears throat> how does someone start thinking about that? If that's a new thought to someone, where, where, would, where would you start with them? I think acknowledging that you're here to create and you're a creative being. So creativity, not necessarily like writing poetry or music, but every choice that you make is a creative act. Yeah. And you can choose to direct your life force in any direction that you'd like. So from this initial remembrance that you can choose, you can make choices, you're here to create, you can really start to free your creative energy. Um, so I think just remembering that and also on a very practical level, taking time to go inward every day. So the common word is meditation, but I think sometimes that can trip people up as well because a lot of people feel like they don't know how to meditate or it's really hard for them. But it's really just this practice of being with yourself every day and attuning to that part that's deeper than your thoughts. Yeah. You know, one of the benefits of meditation is you sort of sit back and become the witness so you can see all the <laughs> the stories and the theater of your mind and realize that there's that part of you that's able to witness the thoughts and you are not your thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. So it's re it's connecting to that part of you every day. Yeah, that's beautiful. I I was going to ask you what your how you would describe meditation and but you're describing really just the process of getting quiet with yourself. Yeah, I think it's about listening really deeply with your whole body and and listening to that inner voice and that inner witness or I like to think of it as your soul. Mm -hmm. That part of you that's here to evolve and to grow and to create. 
Um, and so letting that part of you show up and make choices versus just habits and, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> the mental yeah, chatter. Well, yeah. That, I think, I think that's one thing that's really challenging for people right now is it's, we're not connected into our body and there's so much information that there's so much knowledge there. And we think we, it's almost like we're, we, we think that our intellectual minds is the only mechanism we have to solve problems. And that's really hard because our intellectual mind is very small. I mean, it's a small portion of our brain, let alone our overall intelligence, you know? Do you yeah. agree? Yeah. I think the mind, the gift of the mind is that it moves very quickly mm -hmm. and but I don't think the mind is specifically just seated in the brain. I think the mm -hmm. mind lives in the whole body. So in the yogic perspective, our body and our mind are not two separate things that we can join. It's, it's a spectrum of energy. So the mind would be the most subtle, if you will, the part that moves really quickly. And the, the body is the most physical, tangible part. But so whatever's happening in the mind is being is affecting the physical body and vice versa. Yeah. So just by dropping into your body and feeling your body, that naturally starts to shift what's happening in your mind. Yeah. And I do think there's an overemphasis of um, the intellectual and intelligence in the sense of like, um, yeah, our IQ, and really what's needed, I think, is bringing that balance back to the emotional intelligence and mm -hmm. the wisdom of the body. Yeah, I'd say I 100% agree. I'd almost just, yeah, true wisdom. I think we're confusing information with knowledge and information with wisdom. Um, the internet, I think, is making a big problem of that because it's like a giant brain without a body. And it's all it is is all of our intellectual thoughts in one place where there is no truth up there. I mean, in the internet, there's no... There's facts, then you can choose to believe them, but truth is in our body. You know when something is real and right in your body. Yeah, definitely. And I think the internet, again, is like the gift of it is that it's one huge nervous system and right. it's connecting all of us as these individual cells as far as the access to information that we have. But like you said, information is so different than wisdom. And I think with the internet, there's so much information that there's more that we can actually take in. And so it's creating a lot of anxiety on the level of the mind. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, so at The Well, you do both yoga and meditation? We teach, yeah, I teach yoga. We have weekly meditation sessions. We do weekend workshops. Um, we do moon circles. There's all kinds of things that are happening that are just beyond yoga classes. Um, yeah, a big part of what I hope to do there is reconnect people to nature. So I would love for people to come to Bowen, spend the day practicing moving their body, liberating their mind, and also just being amongst the trees and near the ocean because that has its own medicine yeah beautiful um what type uh just to get into meditation a bit is what um, types of meditation do you personally practice or do you also do you lead uh, is there a specific type just for people who don't know much about maybe don't know how to start with meditation what are you doing yeah i have a few different styles that i go to depending on the day depending on how i'm feeling one thing i'm trying to do more of is really listen to my body and so sometimes for me my meditation will be walking in the forest in silence or moving in the in the way of dancing or, or i've released this attachment to meditation needing to be me sitting upright 
I think that has a place, but I also think that sometimes that can limit us or block us if we think that that's the only way meditation can look. I love working with mantras. Um, so as a yoga practitioner, I, I work with many different mantras that each have their own vibrational frequency. And the power of a mantra is that they're, they're tools to protect the mind, essentially, because as we were discussing, our mind likes to move and to jump around and whatever you focus your attention on essentially grows and it affects your whole body. And so mantras are designed to really attune yourself to a specific quality or energy. Yeah, cool. We're just listening to uh, Sadhguru's. He's an Indian mystic, but he has an inner engineering and uh, the six modules actually all on mantras. And I didn't really understand. I knew the mantras were sounds or things you would say, but I wasn't sure if they were just purely to focus the mind or they were specific words in a Sanskrit language or something, but they're actually different tones or vibrations that vibrate in different parts of your body. Is that right? Definitely. Like yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the science of sound. If you think of sound as vibration, everything's made of vibration. So it would make sense that whatever mantras you're repeating is affecting the overall vibrational tone of your whole body mind. Um, hmm. So different, different mantras or different sounds would have different effects in the body and in the mind. Interesting. So there might be one for a I don't know, calming or for different types of emotions or yeah. what does that mean? Yeah. So some mantras are really powerful sounds to recite for protection, for example, or some are really clearing mantras. If you feel like you've gone through some hardship or there's some things that you want to release, you can work with speci specific mantras as like almost cutting the cords. Um, wow. Some mantras are for abundance. So again, thinking about the mind and a, a more prosperous mindset. So, yeah, and you can work with sounds or every deity in the yogic tradition has their own mantra. Um, so you can get really, really elaborate with mantras, but you can also just chant one sound. So if, talking about the energy body, every chakra or energy center has its own seed syllable, seed sound. So if you're wanting to um, work with specific parts of the body or your life, you can start by just reciting those seed sounds and that starts to move the energy. Wow, cool. It's a very vast and ancient science. Yeah, and it's it's actually one of the yo in the yo like full yoga, there's like lots of different types of yoga and one of them is specifically just based around sounds, is that right? Yeah, there's a whole system called nada yoga and yeah. nada is sound essentially and it's this um our subtle body, so we have our physical body that we can see, our muscles, our skin, and mm -hmm. all our organs, but we also have our subtle body, which you can think of as our energy body through which our life force flows. So the channels through which our life force flows are called nadis, which are like rivers, or you can think of um, like the strings of a guitar almost, like when you pluck the string, the vibration moves, right? So the sound moves energy through the subtle body. Wow. Yeah, cool. A lot of people, I and I don't think I really realized this till fairly recently that yoga is not what we understand to be yoga here. What we understand to be yoga here, the physical act of yoga that you teach and that it's really valuable, is one of many parts of what yoga fully is in 
Yes, is that right? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So the physical yoga is very much. How like many the, are there? Sorry, the there's postural choice. Yeah. So there's there would be eight limbs eight in limbs. traditional sort of the Ashtanga system. So meaning, if you imagine that yoga is a holistic system. If you imagine it was a flower, the physical poses would be just one petal. Yeah. Other things would be meditation, breath work, um, learning to focus, um, being not attached to the outcome of things, and then reaching this state of oneness. So it's this idea that you can really, it's a holistic way of living. And the yoga postures are just one way to get there if you will but yoga is really I've, i think of yoga as not something you do so much as a state of being so it's really that state of feeling oneness with yourself and with creator um and yeah, there's different ways to get there yeah yoga the word actually means unity exactly yeah. right yeah it comes from the word huge which means to yoke so if you think of um the imagery is the the oxen that are yoked together and so they're moving side by side in one direction. Mm. So it's to unite or to join. And depending on, you know, the more esoteric or spiritual side of it would be you're joining the small self with the bigger self or... Um, what does that mean? So the small self could be connected to like the ego, how we understand ego being and the bigger self being that more divinity, the divine within oh, us. Oh, universal self. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So it would be like connecting the individual with the universal. Beautiful. Yeah. So that would be one perspective of seeing that. Yeah. I think that's another thing that only in the recent, maybe in the last year, maybe a little longer that have I been becoming fully aware of this, this, uh, starting to think of it as one consciousness mm -hmm. that we're all, I'm starting to, I mean, I think I've experienced this throughout my life, but realizing that we're actually tapped into a greater consciousness and we're more of an antenna than a creator of thoughts and ideas and understandings and knowledge. Yeah. In the tantric tradition, which is one of the lineages of yoga, um, the tantric view would be that we are essentially the eyes of the one source or one consciousness seeing itself in multiple ways. Right. I've never heard, I've heard similar things. That. Yeah. That's amazing. So if you think of like we're one... <laughs> source one consciousness experiencing itself through all these different forms wow that's very much the tantric view so then it, it changes things instead of our spiritual practice as being this like linear trying to get somewhere it's really about removing the blocks that keep us from experiencing that oneness all the time yeah because it's always available to us so a lot of these yogic practices were designed to clear the physical body the subtle body so that we can really feel that connection with source with that higher consciousness and know ourselves as that source as well yeah beautiful i think that's why things like gratitude and just just is, is it, it gratitude is one example of how to connect with the things around you and just be just be grateful for whatever is because whatever it, you're connected to what is and there's no that's that's all there is <laughs> i think gratitude is the the highest prayer and i start and end every day with gratitude interesting i was just about to ask do you have specific practices that you have in the morning in the evening what yeah what are those yeah well i've i'm a big lover of ayurveda which is the mother science of yoga and ayur means ayurveda comes from two sanskrit words so ayur means life and veda is wisdom or knowledge so it translates as the wisdom of life or it's this 
whole body of practices of how to live well, essentially. And a big part of Ayurveda is, is creating a daily rhythm or what's called dinacharya. And so it's these very simple, practical things that you can do every day to align to this higher consciousness or to the sun, essentially. Um, so for me personally, my dinacharya or my daily rhythm is really guided by aligning my um, my daily habits with um, with the energy of the sun and the moon. So mm-hmm. I I try to wake up a, about an hour before my family does so that I can have time. I usually start my mornings with a little bit of reading. I find I'm not totally ready to do yoga right away. I usually do that a little bit later. Um, but I start by consciously not reaching for my phone, which you helped me with through your nature of work program, <laughs> because I admit that I move in and out of that sometimes, we you all know. Do. Yeah. Um, but but that's an intentional part of my practice is is reaching for a book or doing something that's more um, helps me attune to you know mm-hmm. spirit. I find reading in the morning is very it's slow, so yeah, it's calm. Exactly, yeah. it's like a nice slow way to wake up. And then I have a big glass of warm lemon water, which is a really just nice way to clear um, sort of the grogginess of sleep. And then usually I'm really into the mundane, like getting my son ready for school and breakfast. And then when he's in school, that's when I sort of get into my movement practice and things like that. So my practice is really peppered throughout the day as far as I try to really infuse the sacred into things that I would do all the time, like eating. Um, Eating is a really big part of my my spiritual practice as far as giving thanks before I eat um, and trying to eat in a way that's really appreciative of the food that I'm receiving. I try to eat my biggest meal at lunchtime, which is a really big part of Ayurveda because the sun is strongest at midday. And so our, our own inner sun, our digestive fire, is a reflection of oh, I that. I didn't know that. I do that. I eat the same way, but oh, I, didn't, you do? I didn't know that that was. Yeah, it's a very, it's it's an old part of Ayurveda that we want to try to stoke. It's called Agni, your digestive fire. And it would make sense that your own fire reflects the fire of the sun as far as the cycles go. So eating your biggest meal midday is really healthy for your digestion. And then I usually try to do a little bit definitely some physical movement every day so for me right now like before i came here i went for a walk in the forest um you're a forest bather. i'm a forest bather for sure and just intentionally moving every day even if it's 20 minutes um that's a part of my everyday practice so every day looks a little different as far as the timing and the duration of things but i definitely try to prioritize things like gratitude reading movements and like i said my meditation some days i'm sitting on a mat but some days i'm sitting by the ocean yeah and i love what you just said about bringing the sacred into every part of your day which and the way i would describe that i guess is just being really present with what you're doing and aware of it and not just kind of going through it without noticing that you're going through it like when you eat for instance yeah and i think that's why gratitude is so powerful because you start to appreciate everything even a glass of water if you see the water for the gift that it is it's you know it's hard to take for granted how how lucky and privileged we are to have access to clean drinking water mm-hmm. so even something as simple as appreciating the water that you take in the air that we're breathing um there's so many things to be grateful for. And then on the physical level, gratitude helps to lower cortisol levels, which is those stress yeah. hormones that are overly did active. Did you learn that from nature's work? <laughs> Maybe. Or did you know that? <laughs> you, probably knew, you probably knew that. 
Um, and it also boosts serotonin as well. So we are these bio-spiritual beings, meaning we have these physical bodies, but there's also this spiritual essence to who we are. And so we want to really be tending to both part of ourselves. And I think gratitude is one of the best ways to do, nurture our body and our spirit. Yeah, beautiful. I, I definitely practice gratitude every morning. And that's why it's part of the nature of work morning routine. It's funny what you describe because all, all nature of work at the root of what the program is, it's a bunch of pretty prescriptive things. But at the root of it is just, hey, just be aware of what you're doing and how you're doing it and be intentional about that and here's a bunch of ways you can do that and the hope is that people learn yeah try things out and understand oh if i'm intentional about different practices or when i eat or how i socialize or how i do my work then it feels better and it i get more i, I get more i'm I, I achieve at a higher level but i just feel better doing it and then people can figure out how they want to do it on their own because it's it is a personal experience and it's not doesn't have to be the exact same yeah. process every day i like to say make the habitual ritual <laughs> nice make the habitual like a ritual so because we are these physical bodies and or these beings with physical bodies and most of us are householders meaning we have relationships and jobs and we need to pay the bills like we need to be in daily life right so this is also very much part of the tantric path is embracing worldly life and not seeing it as this separate thing from our spiritual life because i think there there is that tendency to think of the spiritual as having to remove yourself from society and go yeah. meditate in a cave and achieve some sort of union with God and then just stay there. But the idea is that, yes, it's important to take those times to retreat and to do these practices, but the whole point of it or the invitation is that so you can move back into your daily life, more awake, more aligned and really tuned in I to what that. you're here to do. I love that. Yeah. The, um, that's how I hope that I believe that's happening on a societal level right now where we're starting to, there was definitely a time where, well, at, in my job, my company does terrible things, but at home I'm a good person. Like I work for a big oil company or something. I mean, we, that, I don't want to demonize anything right now, but, but then at home I'm a great person or in my community I'm great. But I think people are starting to realize that what you do throughout the day, everything that you do is connected to your spiritual self that connection is starting to happen on a societal level, I think, right? Do you, do you think, do you see I that? I hope happening? so. Yeah. yeah. And I also think if we go back to this word of yoga as union, it's really being authentic Yeah. Um, and not seeing your home life and your work life as two separate things. Even this whole like work life balance. When I hear that, it implies that your work is not part of your life. Right. Or that one has to take the place of the other. Yeah. yeah. And I think if we look at our whole life as this one experience that we get to move in and just bring ourselves forward into all these different life areas and create less separation. Um, and I think that there is a little bit of like, it starts within definitely and from the grassroots level and also some of the organizations and the structures need to change as well. Yeah. So I think from whatever work field you're in, you can create change, whether obviously it begins with yourself but even small changes like your home life um some habits that you do but then it can ripple outward yeah for sure i think that naturally there is a shift in consciousness happening and younger people are looking for that out of the gates uh like they're realizing it early on that what what they do needs to be aligned with their purpose they're trying to figure out we're talking a lot about purpose these days which sometimes i find to be a bit of a misguided conversation but at the same time it's it's great to hear that, I think. 
So. Yeah, when I hear purpose, because I agree, sometimes it feels like, oh no, what is my one purpose right. in this life? And it can be a little bit paralyzing because we feel like if we don't get it, we're messing up somehow. But I think purpose is more of like, what are the gifts that you have, that you alone carry, that nobody else has? It's like the the way that Steve vibrates is different than anybody else. So just bringing your presence to something is being is living your purpose. Yeah, right. right. So it's not even about it outwardly looking like one thing, but it's just really bringing your full attention to what you're doing, I think. 100%. And when I speak to people, like I did a talk recently and was talking about that specific thing, instead of looking outside for your purpose, look inside for your purpose. When you get quiet and when you get, when you when you tune out the distractions all around you, the pur- your purpose becomes really wildly obvious, I think. Do you know what your purpose is right now? Yeah, my purpose is um, to expand my own consciousness and the consciousness of those around me. Beautiful. I think that's it. Yeah, so what's lovely about that is you can do that through lots of different mediums, which mm-hmm. I'm. It, obviously that's guiding your life choices right now. So yeah. it's like this remembrance that your purpose is not necessarily one thing that looks a certain way for the rest of your life. That's right. It can evolve and it doesn't, I think what's important, I think is not to get too wrapped up and make it, some egoic thing. Cause I, my, I had another purpose, a statement that I had written for myself. We did a, a personal workshop that was really interesting. A bunch of, it was for young men and it was great. Cause it got people thinking about purpose. And for me, it just was like, here's the exact words for my purpose statement. And then I realized it sounds really, that's really wrapped up in myself. It's not really about me. It's yeah, it's, it, it's simple. It's to, it's to generate more life around me Mm. like i think when it boils down to it that's all that is actually all of our purpose Mm. like every living thing Mm -hmm. to generate life around us beautiful yeah to create i think Mm. (laughs) that's part of it yeah and not get yeah it doesn't need to be much more than that actually Mm -hmm. yeah do you do you have a purpose statement or like uh, some you know yeah i do um Right now, my purpose is to empower modern, I like, I specifically work with women. Um, so modern women with ancient wisdom. So empowering modern people with ancient wisdom. With their own, like helping them tap into their own ancient wisdom? Yeah. And also reclaiming ways of sitting together in circles, singing together, being in nature, realigning to the seasons. These are all things that no matter where we come from, our ancestors would have done. Um, and I think that we as a species have evolved with that cultural sort of connection with other beings. And we live such, you know, we're connected through the internet, but we all live in these separate little houses and gone are the days where women gather every month and in the moon lodges. And, you know, there's just so many ancient practices that I think we would all benefit from and our planet would benefit from if we brought back to life. So things like, yeah, moon circles is one way. What's a moon circle? A moon circle is when people gather to honor um, either the new moon or the full moon. And really it's about remembering your own cyclic nature. So if you think of the moon, it moves through phases. She moves through phases every month. And so it's a way of setting new intentions for every month or every lunar cycle and really just honoring the cycle that has passed, sort of clearing it out as you continue to set new intentions. Yeah, so nice. it's like a nice practice of just reconnecting to your own creativity um, and also 
with women, uh, anciently women used to bleed in alignment with the moon. So just reconnecting like our physical cycles with the moon right. and how our hormones are so deeply tied to the rhythms of the moon mm-hmm. um, is a really healing practice. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, something I learned recently for men too, is that just like women have a, uh, a cycle that's not quite monthly, that 20 something days, men have a cycle, a hormonal cycle as well. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know much about it. Yeah, I don't know as much about it as well, but you're right in that um, men's hormones are a lot more consistent throughout their life. So they start with a lot of testosterone and then it starts to slowly decrease over like a more long period of time. Whereas if you were to look at women's hormones, they go up and down. There's about four hormones that move like waves through every moon cycle. So we're a lot more cyclical, uh, but men do have, there's little fluctuations within the testosterone levels every month. So even if you're um, you know, not a bleeding woman, you can still connect to those cycles of the moon in the sense of thinking of uh, if we were to break it down, every month has four weeks approximately. The new moon is very much connected to the energy of winter. The week after is like the spring, the summer, and then the fall. And then the new moon would be the winter again. Which is a natural cycle to com- complete something in your life or, or some, it, yeah. Exactly. So even thinking about how if every month you were in this cycle of you could apply it to a creative project, for example, and just checking in every new moon, sitting down and thinking of, okay, what seeds do I want to plant for this next four weeks? And what am I ready to release? What, what's not working from the last cycle? So Mm -hmm. it's just staying, you know, tuning in and checking in with yourself, um, is one way of realigning to nature, um, on a really practical level. Because if you think of, the moon as this cyclical body, um, I think that we can bring that back to our daily practices, just like we started with talking about sleep, right? Really honoring that we all need those downtimes of sleep. In the same way, I think creatively speaking, we need those times of more fallow, sort of going inward and not quote unquote doing as much on the outside. Yeah. But those are just as important for our creativity and our well being. They're just not as valued by our culture. Yeah. I, it's it's really interesting how as humans we've fallen out of understanding all the different cycles that exist within our body and and with our with around us right like the circadian rhythm of which is the day the twenty four hour cycle but there's also the ultradian rhythm which is this ninety minute cycle that goes through throughout our day and throughout our night that's our sleep cycle sleep patterns which we go through different stages of sleep over about ninety minutes but even during the day we have ninety minute cycles. So, and, and I'm sure that there's smaller, like, I'm sure like everything in nature, it gets smaller and smaller and bigger and bigger, but the, and, and then you're talking about monthly cycles, roughly like the moon cycles. And these are all things that when you connect into them, you start to understand that there is a natural rhythm within you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's really what becoming healthy is, is reconnecting to those cycles in some way. And if you think of the cycles that we're describing, they all have the polarities of the more solar sort of outward moving energy and the more lunar of inward and sort of the ebb and the flow of, and that's what creates the balance. And I think that problems arise when we're out of balance, when there's too much of one. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the, that's a big part for me is just reconnecting to the the feminine energy in the sense of like the more lunar. And again, this isn't just about women. It's just that quality of being more reflective and cyclical and honoring those times of 
mm-hmm. pausing, letting go, creating space for something new and not being in this constant solar production mode. Uh, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. And did this, I'm interested because for me, nature of work, I, I believe oftentimes pe- people look, I, I find that young people think, oh, how did you make that decision? And how did you choose to do that? And I find that things emerge sort of organically, right? Things happen in your life. And that sparks some new idea or a new belief system or new exploration. And so for me, nature of work, I think, was really sparked partly by moving here. Was that like, is, do you think you'd be thinking about these things had you not moved here? Were you already thinking about them? Was this, I don't know, how did they connect? Well, one of the yes and yes. So when yeah. I, I mentioned when my son was born, I went through a big health challenge. And so I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of cancer. Mm. And I was only 28 years old. And at the time I was very much into yoga. And I was also working for a company in the US that led teacher trainings and retreats. And I was in a very high organizational managerial job. So I was I was traveling a lot. I was sort of on the go all the time. And so I was very much, although I was connected to yoga, the way I was living was very misaligned, if you will, in the sense of I didn't really honor rest. (laughs) I was very overly active. And you're in flying a lot? I was flying a lot. I was living in a concrete building off the floor. Um, So there was a lot about it that looking back, I can see how something like cancer could have manifested in that imbalanced state. And um, so when I was going through that, for me, it wasn't about eating healthy food or exercising because I was already doing that. So right away, I started asking the deeper question of what, what is this really about for me as far as, you know, what does this disease have to teach me? Because I do think that, you know, going back to gratitude, everything has something for us if we're willing to look at it as a teacher. And so through many different types of um, healing modalities and work, what started becoming apparent for me was that I wasn't honoring the feminine. And so coming to Bowen was one of those, it's, it sort of happened simultaneously. Like I came here to heal and part of healing for me became reholing myself and healing and whole come from the same root word. So mm. if you think of to be whole, it's really honoring the masculine and the feminine, the solar and the lunar. Right. So reholing myself was really reconnecting to this part of me that I had let sort of go dormant for a long time. Wow. Um, and how did you find out and what was that, what was that like? Like finding out that you had cancer and. Yeah. Well, I, I was, um, I had a home birth as I mentioned and I was, pushing through a really hard contraction and the way that I moved my neck, my husband noticed a lump just above my collarbone. So right when I was in labor, yeah. And he, he pointed it out and the midwives looked at it and, you know, we were busy doing something else, giving birth. And they said, you know, it's fine. We'll look at it tomorrow. And, and so that's kind of, that was the original emergence, if you will. And I had intentionally wanted a home birth because I, I don't, I didn't want to be in a hospital setting uh, because I wanted, you know, I don't think birth is a disease that needs to be treated. And I do think there are absolutely situations where it is appropriate to give birth in the medical 
um, sort of more conventional model and you can have a really beautiful conscious birth in a hospital. So I'm not knocking that at all, but it was a really intentional choice for me to birth at home. So when I had to go to the hospital the next day to get the lump checked out, I was super resistant. Um, wow. but that must've been such a roller coaster. Yeah, that was in 2012. So Unreal. there were all those Mayan prophecies that the world would end in 2012. And for me, it really did <laughs> as far as, um, you know, I stopped working so I could focus on healing and I became a mom and I had to do cancer treatments all simultaneously. So it was really full on. And through that, that's when we made the decision to come here to Bowen Island. And I do feel like just the the downshift in the regulating of my nervous system was a huge part of me being able to really integrate that experience mm -hmm. and to heal. What was it? Um, what was it like? I guess just becoming a mom, realizing you were sick on a pretty serious level. I mean, just as you're going into your, your whole, yeah, like when you become a mom, your child becomes everything and they're taking care of them becomes everything. Yeah. It was a big perspective shaker or shaper, both of those things, as far as, uh, you know, some days it was really hard to stay positive and optimistic and I just wanted to lie in bed and cry. Um, but having this other little being to take care of was really a huge motivating force because all of a sudden it wasn't just about me anymore. I had to really get better for him. Right. Um, so in the sense of taking responsibility for my well-being, I realized wasn't a selfish thing. It was actually necessary for the benefit of my family. And so even that started, I started reprioritizing things so that my well-being and my spirituality were not these superfluous or indulgent things that I would do at the end of my never-ending to-do list I had to flip it and make those my priority Wow! Um, and since then I've tried to maintain that as much as possible as far as really seeing that as not selfish but absolutely essential <laughs> for the health of the whole well yeah a hundred yeah and I I just the, the amount of change in the house I mean for your husband for, for you, like it just must have been very intense. I mean, a lot of couples go through, it's challenging enough having a child and for the first time that must have just been hardcore. Yeah, it really was. And a lot of structures that year kind of fell apart. Um, and I, I compare it a little bit to a wildfire. So it's, it's like things when you're that close to it, it seems totally devastating. But with a little bit of time and um, perspective, you start to see how there's also gifts in destruction and every so much can come from that. Yeah. So, you know, from the dissolution of, um, you know, my marriage essentially fell apart and we've rebuilt it. Um, but just, just old ways of thinking, just a lot of things kind of burned away that year. But what was left were like the healthy seeds could start to sprout and I could be more intentional with what I was growing in my life. Yeah. You had your own personal burning man. Exactly. Internal burning man. <laughs> Internal burning man. Wow. And um, how did you, how did you rebuild the two of you? What did that, what was involved in that or what did that take? It was being unapologetically who we both are. So mm. for me, that was really owning my more spiritual, I will even say more shamanic perspective of like, you know, Just I'm becoming fully I, you. Yeah, becoming who I'm here to be and um, not trying to 
manipulate or shape that to fit a certain structure, i.e. a relationship or a job. It was sort of the opposite, like this is who I am. And it was also just choosing each other because I think before that wildfire, we took each other for granted as as is very common when you're with someone for a while. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that every day is a gift and what do you want to do with this one day that you have, right? And so I think having a healthy relationship really is this daily choice of just choosing each other over and over and over again. And a relationship, just like any living organism, needs attention, it needs care. There's occasional weeding out that needs to happen, right? But just really seeing it as this beautiful, living, breathing mm-hmm. thing that was really asking both of us to show up fully. Yeah, that's really beautiful. That's a great description, too. I a lot of I think people don't realize how much it takes to keep a relationship going. Even in the best of times, it's it's a daily commitment. I love what you just said. It's a daily choice to be there. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately everything in our life is actually a daily choice. Exactly. And that goes back to that creativity that we're all here to create, I believe. Mm -hmm. Nice. And so um, through, I guess through that experience, did you were already doing something you loved, but you moved here and you really changed your relationship with what you did. So your relationship with yoga completely changed. Um, was what, I mean, was, uh, what was important to you? Did that change? Uh, did you like, what else in terms of your just perspective on life beyond your relationship, maybe what changed? Seizing opportunities more <laughs> as far just as going for it. Yeah. Going for it. And, um, it, you know, and also things just started coming my way. So in the sense of, I wasn't chasing anymore, um, but rather every day showing up with gratitude, I feel like I just opened myself up. And as as opportunities do show up or would show up, um, you know, where in the past I maybe would have said, oh, I'll do that at a later date. I kind of just saying yes to what I really want to say yes to and also saying no to what I want to say no to. Because I think sometimes we say yes when we want to say no and we say no when we really want to say yes, but we're afraid, right? So mm-hmm. living with you know, fear is obviously it's part of the human experience. So I don't pretend that I have no fear, but when fear comes up, I can, I can see it and, and sort of say like, oh, thanks fear. Thanks <laughs> for trying to protect me. And, and then I can decide like, is it a legit fear that's trying to keep me safe or is it a fear that's keeping me from living? And just going for it when it feels right. <laughs> yeah. Do you l- look at the wildfire year? How or was it a year? Two? Yeah, it was about a year of treatments. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you look back at that year as a blessing? I do now. Yeah. And not in the sense that I would wish it upon anyone, but I can see the gifts that were in it for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that part of living a good life and being content is really seeing everything that happens to you as a gift for you, Mm. no matter what that is, because we all go through our own wildfires, whether it's cancer or divorce or job loss or just anything that feels, you know, crisis or uprooted, uprooting, like it's, it's, it can provoke that inside of us. And I think if we see everything as it's, it's calibrated for you to expand and for you to grow, then you can really take the opportunity and, and step into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I try and, and as I've been going through a lot of change myself this year is to remember that even when it seems really challenging or frustrating, that's the point, is to, to learn something and to be there with it. 
Imagine how boring life would be if it was never challenging. No kidding. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I think it's like, it, it's not to say that it's supposed to be a struggle and a challenge, but when those things come up to, to see it as something that's happening for you mm-hmm. instead of happening to you. So getting out of that victim mentality and, and seeing everything as a tool for your own empowerment. Mm-hmm. I know another commonality we share is some experience with some psychedelics, and I'm interested to hear uh, you've had experience with Bufo alvarius, yes, um, as well as ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe starting with uh, Bufo, what what was that experience like for you, and how did that contribute to your understanding, your who you are today, if at all? I mean, I don't know what what was that like. So one of the desires, like I said, is to not live from a place of fear. So when the opportunity came to have an experience with um, 5-MeO, I I had a desire for it because I had read and heard a lot about how uh, working with the plant medicines had freed a lot of people uh, from addiction and fear of death. And so although I've never suffered from addiction, I had, um, you know, with the cancer diagnosis comes a lot of fears about your own mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of me was curious to, to just see what that experience would bring up for me. And that's really what it, it did. I, I feel like after going going through it i'm not afraid to die anymore mhm and it's it's pretty wild that way isn't it yeah i just i um it's it, it opened up my perspective to the point where it was like oh that's what i'm doing here and it's it's almost like we take ourselves so seriously and even death is something that we think of as this like final thing when I just see it as a continuation of something else. So it just took away the charge for me. Wow. And um, I also think whether it's technically a psychedelic, I, I know I've heard it called an entheogenic. Entheogenic. Yeah. yeah. Which, Entheogen, yeah. Yeah. Which is, um, I which, prefer because the meaning is, um, it you know, Theo being of the divine. So it wakes up the divinity within you or it wakes you up to that source consciousness that's already there yeah entheos the word entheos greek word for the god within exactly yeah Yeah. so that was really my experience of it was this clearing of any blocks that i felt that were keeping me from from that from that from the god within (laughs) from the god within so it was a really beautiful experience um and also it was a lot of deep work simultaneously Mm -hmm. um but i'm grateful to have been able to be on that journey yeah what was the I think a lot of people believe that you go have an experience with the toad or with, there's a lot of different words for it. So we're talking about five MEO, but that you can just do that. And then, and then you are healed or you are transformed. And, and in my experience, in fact, the last experience I had was, I really felt like it was a multi month experience afterwards. And not that I was tripping out or something for months or having any type of, there's actually really no hallucinations with five but that I was working through something for multiple months. And then I actually noticed the day where it was like, okay, you're good. Or mm-hmm. you're on this, this journey is done. Mm. And so that was my experience. Did you have anything similar or did you feel like, what did you feel like the, where was the work? And mm-hmm. for me, the work was in remembering, remembering the feeling mm-hmm. for, and, and tapping into it every day. Because I think going back to like the spiritual practices of yoga, the goal is not to 
you know, do your yoga and then be an asshole in the rest of your day. It's like the practice actually starts when you step off your mat and show up in your relationships and your job. Like, what are you going to do with your yoga in your daily life? I think the integration from the 5MEO experience is like, how are you going to remember this, that you are connected to source, you are an extension of source, and how are you going to let that? lead you into the rest of your life so permeate in everything you do yeah so uh, having that spirit of um just being connected and living from a place of knowing that versus making choices from fear or scarcity Mm -hmm. or lack because after the five experience i realized that there is no (laughs) scarcity or lack we're the ones that you know we do that to ourselves (laughs) yeah we're the only ones slowing any of the energy down yeah or the possibilities down yeah and and also just a deeper trust not feeling like i need to figure everything out right now um that's part of the integration for me is just being open and receptive and Mm -hmm. knowing that i'm always connected to that higher source consciousness it's like how can i remember that and also tune in so that I'm being guided every mm-hmm. day versus trying to, you know, manipulate and plan and force things to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, after my first experience, that's when I realized, oh, I need to go learn to meditate properly. I, I was meditating every day. That's when I went and did my first 10 day silence retreat and get serious about meditation. Cause I realized I needed what you just described a way to connect to that connect to that understanding of source, that remembering on a daily basis, I needed tools to do that. And I knew that meditation for me was going to be a, a method to do that. And it also started, I mean, I've always eaten pretty healthy for the last eight, 10 years, and I don't drink that much, but I really have almost stopped drinking. And I smoked a little bit of uh, cannabis once in a while. And I've kind of just, for me personally, just stopped because I just want to be as clear as possible. I want my channel to be as clear as possible like you say, to be able to access that source as often as possible and as clearly. I had a similar experience, like even coffee. I I love coffee as a morning ritual. And for the first few days after, I was not craving it at all. And I do still have coffee in the morning, but I definitely have a a sensitivity to alcohol and unhealthy foods. And I just, I don't really crave any of those things. Like you can feel how dense some things are Mm -hmm. and how light other things are. And it just, you start to be more um, comfortable with the things that keep you clear and open Mm -hmm. for sure. If someone was going to have an experience with uh, five, what would you recommend? Like what's important that they know or think about or consider? Definitely the, the medicine or the plant medicine practitioner that you plan to journey with make sure that you know them and you trust them both experiences for me were really um, ceremonies that I felt were held in a really sacred way um, and really seeing it as a spiritual journey and not just some trip (laughs) that you're going on as Mm -hmm. far as looking at it as a soul journey and um, and just yeah trusting who you're journeying with Mm -hmm. and so uh, how how is ayahuasca different than your the well the duration of time first of all obviously it's a different yeah so the ayahuasca journey was several hours for a few nights in a row um the actual experience of being on the plant medicine was very similar in the sense of being in that vibration and that feeling of oneness with creator was really beautiful and just this feeling of of bliss is the only word that comes to mind Mm -hmm. um but a really deep peace and love all simultaneously and just feeling how our cells are vibrating with this energy of of deep love and joy and that was my experience with with both of them um the ayahuasca 
ayahuasca is a, a purgative. So you purge, um, which was not my experience with toad at all. Um, so that was that was something that was different about it. Uh, but it was also, it actually felt really good in the sense of there was some clearing that happened through that for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they're both, they work together. I feel like they're, they're plant spirit sister and brother. Mm -hmm. And so they're very similar in what they, they want us to wake up to. Yeah. That's what I find. It's interesting with my different experiences is that at the, at the, root of them all is the same message and the same information They're like the same root knowledge uh is connection and unity to oneness right uh, definitely you just some of them you just need to do more of it than others <laughs> yeah and i don't think it's for everyone either yeah you know totally. there were um one of my sisters in the circle where i sat last week with uh, ayahuasca she was very clear that she doesn't need to do this anymore and that was echoed by the um, the woman that held the ceremony for us, it, it's not for everyone. And sometimes your work with it is, is done <laughs> like the first round, or sometimes it's not necessarily a relationship you need to have. Mm -hmm. So I also think, trust your intuition. Um, and if it is something that you're called to, I do think that it'll call to you very much. Like you, you just feel the, the beckoning towards it. Right. And I, I, yeah. And the other thing I think about with it is if you are feeling if it's become like if you're doing it all the time or something like that, there's there's something off with with your with your relationship with the medicine and perhaps the experience. Because I think to your point, I mean, I, I'll see myself doing other having other experiences, but I'm not I'm not constantly wanting to go back there or do that. I don't need to do that. It's like I I've done it uh, in the last year, and that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, I think you but, know when your relationship to it is going to begin and is going to end you feel it and that's yeah. that's the other beauty of it is just for me it really brought me in my body mm -hmm. and seeing you know we hear that the body is a temple but you really do connect to that essence yeah i think you told me that when you came out of the five experience you said something like oh that's what yoga is <laughs> yeah. something like that yeah that just feeling bliss in your cells yeah. feeling god in your whole body mm -hmm. and not as this thing that you need to try to achieve or get to but it's already there and when you really tap into it it starts to permeate everything mm -hmm. cool do you do you think much you said you freed yourself some, from some fear of death but do you just do you think about death much I think about death every day, but not in a morbid sense. Yeah. For me, it's a really liberating practice. Even in most yoga classes, we end with Shavasana, which is death pose. Oh, they don't tell you that usually. They don't, they don't see death scares people, but I yeah, think if we, that's another part of the, dis, the unbalance of our culture and why we are, you know, consuming things at ex, unexponential ways, meaning like we're over consuming, like our relationship to death is not existent yep um but for me it's uh yeah so shavasana for me is the practice of how to die really well because just like i want to live a conscious life i want to die consciously and um so that's a, a practice for me and it it just brings me it, it appreciate it helps me appreciate every day so again coming back to the gratitude practice if there was no death there you know things just wouldn't be as sacred or special mm -hmm. I yeah i totally agree i think it to to look at death carefully is to look at life carefully mm -hmm. or to be conscious of one is to be conscious of the other. Yeah. Yeah. And the more I welcome and welcome in the sense of, you know, think about death, the more vibrant my life becomes. Mm -hmm. 
with all of your experiences um, and perhaps, uh, yeah, just your understanding of death and what's beyond, because I think something a part of the entheogenic experience is realizing that death is just a sort of a bus stop or something like transition. The transition, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, do you think about legacy? Like, is is legacy something that drives you, or yeah, is that? Something I would, you think about? I think legacy more in the sense of empowering people with ancient wisdom. Again, even this relationship between birth and death. Um, for a long time, people had ceremonies that were honoring births, but they were also given ceremonies to honor death. And just so if I were to leave a legacy would be to, to ha- in hoping that these rituals carry on to future generations, that mm-hmm. they're not lost. So when I think of legacy, it's not so much a name or um, a brand as much you know as it is. Chantel Russell building. <laughs> well, maybe that sounds kind of nice, <laughs> but yeah, it's really just um, those threads that I feel have been given to me. I want to pass them on to the, the next generation to carry forward. Yeah. Which sounds to me more like just an organic flow of life and information or knowledge. Yeah. I think it's so easy for things to get lost now with the whole, you know, things have to be within a, tweetable I don't know how many words is a tweet supposed to be but you know with the the expanded breadth breadth we've lost the depth as far as making things really um, compact and digestible yeah we forget that there's so much more also to be passed on yeah and so that's my hope is that we can maintain and and connect to the wisdom of our elders and the earth and really imbue that into Mm -hmm. our technological advancements and i know your son's pretty young he's about eight right yeah eight years old yeah um how do you do you talk to him about this stuff not like just your experience and, and your these beliefs and things or yeah, he's very, um, he's just naturally connected, a sensitive little guy. He's a very sensitive guy. Yeah. I met him and yeah. spent time with him. Yeah. Um, we, I think the way that I pass it on to him is teaching him about the sacredness of all things. He has a really special connection with trees when we go to the forest and he's really sad when he sees trees that have been cut down. So I think even just making that connection and teaching children that everything is sacred and mm. is worthy of our protection yeah, and, interesting. and taking care of it. And do you, do you feel like you've had to tell him any of those things or does he just see those things through your actions and through the shared experience that you have with him? I feel like he's a, he just sees it and, you know, he teaches me so much. One day he asked me, when's God's birthday? And so when he asks me really deep questions, I usually just spin it back to him. I say, I don't know. What do you think? And he <laughs> when responded, is God's birthday? Well, he responded and he said, every day is God's birthday. And wow. I was so touched by that. And then two seconds later, he's like, no, wait, it's Christmas. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, honey, your first answer was better. <laughs> Go with so your gut. It was kind of, yeah, it was a really funny, like he, he knew it right away. And then his programming kicked in as far as, you mm-hmm. know, having heard that story. Um, but I just thought like, that's so beautiful to think of how much they also have to teach us as well as just that, that wonder and that innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, he's my teacher too. That's so nice. Yeah. They start to reflect 
you back at yourself too in ways which yeah. is good in some creepy sometimes yeah. like freak freaks you out sometimes like wow, wow that's totally me i can't believe that yeah and i think you know talking about spirituality like that's really where the rubber hits the road as well like mm. i notice myself when i get impatient or if i'm not well rested or super reactive unfortunately he's the first one usually that it comes into contact with so it's like again coming back to the importance of self-regulation and those practices mm-hmm for the benefit of our children. Yeah, 100%. Um, do you think there's a meaning to your life or t- you know, to this life? I think that we are meaning-making beings and that if we don't make meaning out of things, that life is quite empty. <laughs> so I do think there is meaning, but I also think that we have the, we can create meaning. <laughs> Yeah. So for me, there is meaning to my life. Um, and whether I'm the only one that's putting the meaning on it, it adds a lot of depth <laughs> to it. It's making the journey a lot more fun. Right. And is that, how would you describe living a good life? For me, living a good life is being creative and bringing yourself fully to your life and sharing your gifts, however those are showing up at different stages. Yeah, so it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, it really boils down to love. <laughs> so so to live a good life is to love. It's, yeah, it's to love. I think we're here to create and to expand love in all of its different forms. And you can do that in so many different ways. Beautiful, thank you. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening. And you can follow along with my life on Instagram at Steve Rio. For show notes and other info about the podcast, check out natureofwork.co forward slash podcast or find us on Instagram at natureofwork.co. And if you'd like to learn more about how to increase your performance, resilience, and well-being, how to increase the quality of your work while lowering the stress and anxiety you feel, definitely check out Nature of Work. It's a personal operating system that has transformed my work and my life, not only the quality of my work, but how I feel every day. And with that, I'll leave you. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.